Hello and welcome back to the Wheel Talk Podcast. My name is Abby Mickey. We are here to talk about the World Championships, Road Race, and Time Trial. And I am absolutely thrilled to be joined by my whole crew, my favorite people, Lauren Rowney. Hello. Hello. The gang is back together. Well, the band. Finally. (laughs) Gracie Elvin. Hey, hey. Yeah, it's awesome to be back. Feels like forever. Yeah, and we're like home. Matt Deneve. Hi, yeah, great to be here and yeah, a lot to talk about as we just spoke about before we started recording. There was a a lot going on on Sunday. And okay, so if we were a band... Like who would be who would be what instruments? I feel like oh, God. I, I feel like Gracie would be our lead singer. Oh no, that's like exactly the. Not, <laughs> I cannot sing. The I, introvert I, is the lead singer. She'd be the drummer. That's not the point, Gracie. The point is <laughs> like <laughs> no, none of us. Well, except for Matt. Matt is the exception of instrument playing and singing, but the rest of us. <laughs> It's all just for it's all just like fun and games. Matt, what would you what would your primary instrument be if this was a band? Uh, I'd probably be happy just standing at the back playing bass or something like that. Just you know, do my thing, keep things together, um, <laughs> let everyone else do the do okay, the fancy okay. stuff. I want to see you do a like a Heim style bass face, yeah. please. Right now, if you're <laughs> gonna be the bass, no, no, no. no chance right now. But yeah, <laughs> uh, Lauren, I could see you playing guitar. Really, I was going to say my musical talent probably extends to the triangle, but yeah, that's a huge compliment. <laughs> I wish you're both missing the whole point of this. <laughs> okay, exercise. guitar, definitely. Yeah. I that. Okay, cool. I've got I've got drums, and I'm putting Gracie as our front woman. Sorry. All right. Well, we're not going <laughs> to sell any tickets, but uh, no worries. <laughs> Before we dive into chatting about the world championships, because there is a lot to talk about, this episode of the Wheel Talk podcast was made possible by the generous support of our members at the Escape Collective. Monthly memberships start at just $6.99 a month, or you can save 30% on an annual payment. For more information, head on over to escapecollective.com slash join. That's escapecollective.com slash join. And thank you so much to everyone who's already a member. It's... Yeah, an awesome little website with some great content on there. So check it out. One of the coolest things about um, the community is the Discord uh, that you get access to if you're a member. And it's really cool jumping in to the Discord and diving into those channels that are dedicated to live racing. So watching the race on Sunday night with the Escape Collective members was really cool. Lots of back and forth about what was happening in the race. I think it's a nice little perk and cool to be part of that community. Yeah, and there's a couple people, uh, Andy is one of them, who have who were actually at the race and they were taking just these stunning photographs of the race. So you kind of also get like a little bit of uh, on-the-ground feel from the Discord, which is really cool. And everybody on there is always just super keen to talk about really interesting stuff. I mean, sometimes people on there like catch news items before we do as well and are talking about stuff in in the wheel talk channel on the discord which is really cool uh, i'm a big fan of just the entire disc- discord community there's like people talking about their kids on there there's people talking about music on there it's just like a lot of it's like social media if social media was like blocked off into topics that you're interested in and then everyone was nice <laughs> <laughs> wholesome social media yeah it's actually it's actually pretty good i'm pretty impressed with that <laughs> All right, you guys want to talk about I, Matt is cracking his neck in anticipation of right. talking Getting about ready. the world, <laughs> the world championships. <laughs> um, 
I was going to just dive right in and start with the road race, but I think we should kind of build up to that. And I also think that there are some talking points from the TT worth discussing before we dive into the road race. So let's start with just a brief mention of the time trial that happened on Thursday, won by Chloe Digart in, you know, maybe it's not an upset, but Marlon Rooster, we're going to talk about her, had a rough day on the bike, as you do, but you never want it to be that day. Uh, the heavy favorite going into the race, she didn't look super comfortable from the beginning. She was moving her upper body around a lot. I think it's pretty easy to tell when a time trialist is on a good day because they're really, really steady and... Um, and clean and streamlined and she really looked uncomfortable from the beginning and then the the camera panned to her at one point and she just was fully sitting up and then climbing off her bike and sitting on the ground so she ended up dnfing the race and chloe dagger took the win by six seconds over grace brown amazing ride by grace brown and christina schweinberger took third which is another incredible ride almost a minute and a half down so a huge gap from second to third, but pretty close there in the top two steps. What do you guys want to start with? Do, do we start with Royster or do we start with the podium? I think you have to start with Royster. Yeah. So much. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot to unpack, but Royster, I think, I think she said afterwards that she knew she wasn't going to have a good day and she felt mm-hmm. kind of compelled to ride anyway because she felt a sense of responsibility to her team and to her support network and all of that. And, um, yeah, I have a lot of respect for her in in the way that she conducted herself afterwards and that she was very honest about how it just wasn't her day and how she just, yeah, just mentally wasn't in a good place and she didn't try to make excuses. She just owned up to it and yeah, it was very straightforward and I, I really liked that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. I think it would have been, it could have been quite disrespectful if she hadn't given a good answer as to why that had happened but the fact that she brought up some mental health challenges and just you know being really burnt out I think that was really important to set the tone and to you know not show disrespect to the other competitors if she wasn't going to win because otherwise you would expect someone to at least just finish even if they weren't going to have their best day so the fact that she couldn't even finish at all is telling that she was, you know, struggling quite a lot. So it was also good that she was able to follow up with that honesty. Yeah, and I think uh, the difference between a road race and a time trial is like we always say it's a race of truth. You can't hide, but that's interpreted in many ways. Like the, the TV camera is on you. I think it was the road race and she'd faded out. People have been like, oh, Roos is not having a good day. And she could have been having the same mental health struggles um, in that moment, but it's like, to, to show up to the World Championship time trial where you're the favourite and you know you're not going to be good was, I don't know how hard that decision would have been on that morning because it's just, you can hide in a road race and, yes, you get dropped, like I said, and you, people will, will notice it, but then the race goes on. But it was just so obvious in the camera and the attention on her. And I really was, like, quite emotional in that moment because I was just thinking to myself, just what would have been going through her head um, and the, the sheer disappointment. Um, so, you know, she she's always so honest and upfront and I really appreciate that um, when athletes can can share that backside of the story. And, um, yeah, it was just, yeah, difficult to watch. You know what's really interesting about this versus, like, if it was in the men's side? 
is I feel like in the women's side, she was honest about her, where she was at mentally. And we all applaud her for that and think it's amazing. I think on the men's side, there would be a lot of backlash if somebody did that. Yeah, maybe. I think we're in a good era that it wouldn't maybe have been received that bad in the men's, but I do agree that it might've been a bit different depending on the gender. But I don't think I've ever seen someone step off for that reason in a time trial at a big event. Like it's like you said, Lauren, it's, it's easy to step out on a road race. Not easy, but like, I don't know, like that focus is intense. So it's just like, I was surprised to see her literally step off the bike in the middle of the time trial. Like, and, like again, it, it can only tell us that, you know, that would have been a really hard thing to do in itself. And, yeah, I just hope that she's got some good support. Like, no doubt that SD works and maybe her federation as well. Like, I have some good support around her, but... I still feel like that's a big area that's still lacking. Like we've come a long way with sports psychology and mental health care in sport, but it's like, I don't know, it's still hit and miss depending on the team Mm -hmm. (laughs) or the federation. Yeah, I do. I do wonder about SC Works, honestly, because I think that they're they're such a well-oiled machine and they're so Dutch. Like I don't know. I wonder if it actually if they actually will handle this well or not. I, I think her being one of their top riders might make a difference, but that's not fair because it's not only the top riders that struggle with this kind of stuff. Um, so I'm curious. I'm curious how they will receive this. They're very like robotic, and it was interesting to me to see Royser like continue to be kind of the most human of the lot. <laughs> Um, like her sitting on the side of the road in that stupid uh, Swerks helmet. Like, <laughs> with the, so dumb, that helmet. Like that memeable moment, but it was also just like, it was just gut-wrenching to see. I saw somebody write on, one, one of the other pros said on Twitter, oh, Royster's doing exactly what all of us have wanted to do at one point during a time trial. Just <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, yeah, but... Such a, I, I like in the moment, everyone thought, oh, she must have a mechanical, like there must be something wrong. But no, I think in her, her body language, uh, like, like Gracie said as well, um, you could just see that it was, there was something clearly wrong, distressing almost. And I imagine from the, the moment she took off from that start room, before then, she, she didn't have the right head on her shoulders to do what you need to do that day. And I, I've never been a time trialer, so I really don't understand the discipline, but um, I can only imagine that you have to be 100% in that zone. Uh, you know, road races, you have 150 kilometres. You can have a shit start to a race um, and then by the end come good, but you just can't do that in a time trial. We'll talk about how she bounced back in just a minute. I also want to talk about the podium, obviously, because, well, Matt, you spoke with Grace Brown about how this was a huge target for her this season. Yeah, well, she was silver last year in Wollongong in front of a home crowd. And, you know, she was obviously targeting gold this time around and and didn't quite get there. But I think she'll look back if she hasn't already and be very proud of this result because, yeah, silver at world is is a fantastic ride and only six seconds off gold. And, um, yeah, I don't know what else to say about it other than she, she did an awesome job 
set herself a target, did did a great ride, and I think she can be really really proud of that. And I mean, I think it was always going to be difficult for her to beat Rosa, to be honest. But I think yeah, coming home with a silver medal is a, a fantastic result for her. I think like I think six seconds hurts more than twelve seconds for the same mm. silver medal. Um, and she said that she was quite honest. She was like, yeah, of course I'm really happy, but. I that six seconds haunts me. So, yeah. you know, like I've heard other people say, you know, like if you can find time, that other person could have found time too. And she definitely got beat fair and square by Daggett. So it's it's nice to see two riders give their best, ride different races and still have a sim- very similar finishing time. Mm. Um, and plus Daggett was a bit sick, so that's also interesting too. So I don't know. I think Grace... Maybe she could have found a few extra seconds, but ultimately you make those decisions out there and you do what you think you can do. And she did that and she had a great day and she's she may be capable of winning the world title, but I don't think she's got that many years left in the sport. So it would have been frustrating and it would have been so nice. But, yeah, ultimately she didn't do anything wrong and she had an awesome day. <laughs> it was silver. Yeah, Digert had an incredible ride, especially considering that she had a the the team released a statement before the race that she had a respiratory infection that sounded a lot like they were making excuses before the race even started, but then they didn't need them because she really just from the beginning she set the fastest time and nobody nobody could really come close until Grace went off and yeah had had Royster been on her her normal form we'd probably be having a really different conversation, but. Chloe Dagger to win the world championship jersey after everything she's been through. I I was surprised she wasn't well, I mean, I guess I wasn't surprised knowing Dagger, but like <laughs> if it had been any other rider to have been through everything she's been through since she won in 2019 in Yorkshire, to like have her crash in 2020, have Epstein Barr, like the the failure that was well, failure like in quotes for her, the Olympics in 2021 to kind of come back and be able to take that title this year, even while she's sick is pretty remarkable. Uh, I think like she was very subdued in the, in the interviews, but I hope that she was screaming a little bit on the inside. Cause it was such an incredible, it's a, it's such an incredible story. The entire thing, if you look at it as a whole. Yeah. And it really caps off her season, doesn't it? It's been, been a really impressive year for her on the road and, She's done some stuff that she hadn't before and, and really established herself kind of as a, as a sprinter, weirdly, but as we've discussed in the past, a sprinter who's much more than a sprinter. And uh, yeah, that's a, yeah, a great result for her and sets her up nicely for, well, I guess the, the back half of this season, but also going forward. Yeah, and I guess uh, when we look towards the Olympics, which is a year away, where she'll be targeting both the track and the road again, she's proven here at the Super Worlds that she was able to combine both so um, I think she's if she stays healthy, she stays on track, she doesn't overdo it, she will be the one to beat in 2024. Oh, God, the season's almost over, which means the Olympic. <laughs> the Olympic year will begin it's coming. soon. <laughs> I'm not ready. I'm not ready for it. <laughs> Finally, we got to talk about Christina Schweinberger because what an incredible ride by her. I mean, she tops it in the road race, arguably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but a podium in the TT is really incredible from a rider that I don't think many people knew her name before this race. Yeah, amazing. Definitely anyone that put money on her would have made a good return that day. But um, 
she was come, kind of coming good in the women's tour, but still someone that we weren't talking about that much. Um, so, yeah, out of the blue almost. So I think we need maybe need, well, I need to go back and see some of her results this year and see where she's been hiding. But, um, yeah, it's cool. Like I think to no disrespect to her, but there was plenty of riders that had bad day as well in the time trial. Um, but like um, one and a half minutes behind, that's that's actually quite a good uh, loss, really, a good comparative ride to someone like Diget or whoever was going to win on the day. So it, it seems like a lot, but when you break it down per kilometre, it's it's actually not that much and it's, yeah, incredible. So someone that we might be talking more about. Yeah, it was a pretty long time trial for a lot of riders. Like for the Dutch, it wasn't that long. Demi pointed out that the national championship time trial for them this year was actually longer, but for some riders, it was it was a pretty long time trial. That would have, unless you specifically trained for that, it would have hurt. Well, it would have hurt anyway. Um, I said finally, but I should have said before. Yeah. Uh, we also just a mention to Antonia Niedermeyer, who won the U23 title after her horrendous crash at the Giro. Like, incredible, another incredible story from the Canyon Stram camp, winning the that stage of the Giro and crashing the next day on her face. And then, and then to take this title is, she just is so impressive. And she was incredible again in the road race. And I just can't wait to see what she does next year. And uh, to come back from that injury, she had um, a lot, there was a lot of impact to her jaw and her teeth. So pretty cool to see her back like already in the at the pointy end of a race even if it's a time trial so soon after that crash that's actually a quite a good segue to the road race because i was going to say um you know how you can identify riders in terms of um well at the wells they're wearing their uh national jersey but the helmets and i noticed like mm. the the canyon tram helmet and the jumbo visma one for me are really uh they really do stand out but i noticed those helmets a lot in that race. So just like the rest of the season, I thought Canyon Trim were really impressive um, throughout the road race, all the different stages that we saw. Like, not to bounce around too much, but obviously one of the rides of the day, Elise Shabby, again, like she's just always on the attack. She just loves to be off the front solo on her own. I, every single time <laughs> I think she wishes she had like a buddy with her. But like between her and then we had Agnieszka Soniak's uh, Soika up there in the beginning of the race there was like from the beginning you knew it was a hard race when the early break was like <laughs> Lizzie Diamond <Dignan, laughs> uh, <laughs> Elise Shabby <laughs> Julia Julia Ashley Milene Passio <laughs> yeah Senna Kea to Blanca Voss like yeah. what a freaking monster of an early break (laughs) to go away and they got caught like thanks to the german team putting so much pressure on crow road on that one climb before they got to the circuits but clearly they thought okay we need to get ahead of these circuits before we get there because if you can hold if you can get a gap you can hold it in the circuits and it didn't work out but it was still pretty cool to see riders like that kind of going for it early on I thought it was a brilliant mm-hmm. tactic and I was like, oh, we're going to see a repeat of some of the races before. You've got some really good names that maybe people haven't necessarily picked as the winners, but someone like Dignan who can go really long because she's been doing this for 16 years or something now. Um, 
that that was a brilliant move and yeah it just i think when when the germans really drilled it um to bring that back because it was dangerous and you know it's the last race of the week and everyone knows what could potentially happen on that circuit and how that early move if it's strong enough and the group behind hesitates the it, it's impossible to bring it back in those last laps so um yeah, I guess when the Germans decided to drill it and bring it back, which was, I guess, the best decision for for that team as well as I think it was the Italians. Did they miss it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Italians and Australians that, missed it. And the Australians. And that actually, that part of the race is what determined the rest of the race for a lot of people. If you had mechanicals in that moment, I think Alex Manley got caught out, I think somewhere around Crow Road, and that was it. It's kind of game over from that point for, for a lot of people. Yeah, there was a huge split thanks to that pressure put on by the German team. And like, it was such a brilliant moment of the race for the Germans to use their strongest, their 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 asset is climbing at the moment. They have such strong climbers on the team. So to use Crow Road as their spot to both put pressure on the Peloton, but also close the gap to that group that was out front. It was, yeah, really smart. There were so many riders that got caught out. Like Voss got caught out at that point. Lebecki, uh, Corinne Lebecki was out. Oh, yeah. We like, so we're going to talk about worlds, but I feel like since I just mentioned Corinne, EF is like slowly trickling out their roster for next year as they're like a brand new team. And Corinne to EF is quite, that is, that's a move. Yeah. Going home to an American team. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I'm excited for her. It makes sense, actually. If she wants to step back into more of um, a leadership role, like when she first went to whatever DSM used to be called. I can't even remember now. Sunweb. 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 Was it Sunweb when yeah. she went to it? Yeah. Yeah. But on that note, I just yeah. want to jump back, actually, to the Germans because what they did was, like, okay, so they brought back the threatening break, but then... When we were on the circuits, Lippard was isolated and she didn't have any teammates. She wasn't on the day of her life, clearly, because she finished in that second group, I think. Um, the sec- the big group that came in. I'm not sure if she was in that group. But, um, yeah, then she had no teammates. And we saw how, like, yeah, how important it was definitely in the women's race to have the numbers. And because Kopecky is just... We'll have to talk at length about her. Just so phenomenal. She had one teammate who had a fantastic day and just did so much work. I was super impressed with Justine Herica. I think you pronounce it. Yeah. Um, But if you didn't have teammates there, it was like kind of a gamble of what you could go with and what you could shut down. And, I mean, Kopecky was just on it the whole time. But if you didn't have the support there, I mean, the Dutch had five at one point. The Italians had five. Um, the British had three. I think numbers were important, but it, I don't think it was actually as important as we maybe were thinking. I don't think, I think ultimately it was if you had good legs, you really just needed to have good legs because I think I mentioned it at the start as we hit the circuits in commentary because um, Lizzie was really in the front a lot and she was rolling turns and she was doing a lot. And so like Kopecky obviously was doing a lot too, but for a different reason. But on this course, you had to override it. Like that's how you were going to be successful, but you had to have the legs to back it up. 
Mm. So we saw a few teams there with numbers and they couldn't back it up because they didn't have the legs. So numbers actually became almost irrelevant in mm. the second half of the laps. The Italians, yeah. The Italians were like, I mean, we had Balsamo on the attack. We had Cicchini. at one point Soraya Paladin was on the attack. Cicchini was on the attack and it just came to nothing because when the move eventually went, they were nowhere to be seen. Going back to Grace's point, I guess, yeah, if you do survive to the circuits you're, and you know you don't have the greatest legs and it's pretty obvious from the start, like with the interview with Grace Brown, I think she's the one who said already halfway in the, the first lap, she's like, dear God, we have to do you know, yeah. six of these. Um, and they were tailgating a lot. So you're almost just to try and put yourself in the race, like Elena Cicchini, I was surprised um, – how well she did but she just decided to go for it and then if you get dropped you get dropped rather than just waiting till you get dropped if that makes sense so i, th I think that if there's a course that every other race had a solo winner and it's not a big climb that really tells you that you have to be in the front of the race the whole time if not off the front and like Kepeki wasn't afraid to do it and mm. she obviously it paid off for her but lizzie wasn't afraid to do it i was yeah. really enjoying watching her race uh, who else? And Vollering, I think she was playing it the most cool out of mm -hmm. all of them, but she was still putting herself up there in good position uh, for those important moments on the course. Sile. Uh, yep, Sile was doing a really good job as well. So it was just interesting to see because we don't really get to see that kind of racing that much. Like it was literally a, a crit on steroids even though that's probably a <laughs> bad way I, mean, <laughs> I didn't want to say that but it's like we actually don't get to see that kind of course very often mm. and um actually having radios make wouldn't have made much of a difference either on that course so that was also interesting because you know we always talk about that too like do radios make a difference at worlds like should they have them or is it better to not but i think on this course it wouldn't have made much difference at all Speaking about being, yeah, sorry, being at the front, um, Elise Chavez's ride was amazing. Um, mm. You know, we've touched on her briefly already, but the fact that she was in the early move, got brought back, attacked as soon as they hit the circuits, got brought back, and then I think she attacked with 74Ks to go, was out there on her own for 60K, benefited a little bit from the attacking and kind of sitting up behind, but just rode an awesome tempo throughout um, and then held on for seventh is a fantastic ride in its own. But also it's interesting to me that it really reduced the pressure on Marlon Rusa behind. And I, I think we need to talk about that because I think, you know, Rusa obviously had that bad day a few days earlier and she was able to bounce back and, and end up finishing fourth in the day. But I think having Shabby up the road really, really helped her out. Yeah, just the, just mentally taking the pressure off her. Mm even if it wasn't, if it didn't help physically, because I don't know how much her being up there impacted like the tactics going on behind. I don't think they impacted it much. I think that the group back there was so strong and full of such incredible riders that having Shabby up there as amazing as she is, they wouldn't have been thinking, okay, well, we, we still have to think about catching Shabby because I think they would have just, they knew that they were just going to race their race and she was going to come back naturally. But and while Marlon Rooster was able to sit on, I still don't think that she would have done that much in way in in the way of attacking 
in maybe she did she still went off the front a couple times there was like one time when she got like a couple bike lengths and i was like oh (laughs) um but i do i do think that mentally more than physically Mm. having her up there would have made a massive difference for marlon rooster in that moment Mm. yeah it's a really good point there's a quote on the sd works website after the race where uh, it was from volering talking about the fact that Kopecky got annoyed with her during the race um, because Volering wasn't committing as much to the chase. And she was saying that at one point, Kopecky seemed worried about Shabby staying away um, and that she was really trying to get Volering to work. She said something like, it's now or never we have to go, otherwise we're not going to get her. Um, I agree with that, though. I was sitting on the couch because, again, I've been watching all the races and you just even though that group behind was so strong, we've seen what can happen if you do hesitate too much. And it was like it was coming back and then it can blow out so quickly um, because, like Gracie said, she's riding a really strong, consistent pace. Or maybe, Matt, you were saying that. Just, you know, and we know she can go long, Shabby. Um, so I I understand Lotta's... Um, nervousness around it because i think i would be and you could see on the day she was willing to do everything possible to win that jersey she wasn't going to let anything stop her from that if she did lose it she would have done everything possible no hesitation and that was just for me i don't know i was so just so excited i i don't think i've screened at a tv that much before um when she (laughs) went just her whole year and everything, and maybe now I feel a little bit patriotic towards this country. Um, but, yeah, it was just, just she just kept putting herself back in, in the race time after time. And at the World Championships, we do see it where there's those moments, those slight moments of hesitation that cost that gold medal. And you sit there just as a, as a spectator, a former athlete, going, oh, no, I can't believe this is happening. Um, so... Yeah, for me, I thought uh, Vollering played it sometimes too safe. And actually, mm-hmm. it appeared to me when Kopecky did make that that final attack where she got away from Vollering, it seemed like there was that moment of hesitation. I don't know if you guys picked up on that. I think that lost her the race. I don't know if there was hesitation as much as, like, it was such a hard race and there were so many attacks and there was so much action that happened that... And there were so many attacks that got brought back, like, naturally. Like, they, they, it was just kind of, like, moving and flowing the entire race with different riders going and different riders chasing and different riders being brought back and different riders trying to bridge and all everything that was happening from that, that main group of players by the end of the day that I feel like when Kopecky finally went and chased down that move by Sile and and the two of them were off the front it wasn't so much that like volering i think volering just she didn't she maybe she hesitated she missed that acceleration by Kapeki. but i think a lot of it was just the elastic finally broke it was just it was going to happen at some point and that was the moment that it did and like it, it was multiple elastics breaking because the first was when that move when that move went already the move of of the riders that like made the race in the end that was just, they were all in the right place at the right time, but they were also all the strongest riders on the day. Like it was, it was such a selective race. And we always say there's nowhere to hide in a road race, but there was really nowhere (laughs) to hide on that course and in this race. And I, I just loved, 
I mean, I loved almost every second of the circuit race. I do think that there is something to be said about the the crash of Sarah Roy and Emma Norsgaard and like watching poor Sarah Roy like on the ground for so long with no medical being able to get to her. I think there is something to be discussed in that. But as far as exciting racing, you really, you can't sit there and have watched this race and everything that happened in this race and not say that it was one of the best worlds we've ever seen. And that the winner was an absolutely deserving winner who was without question, the strongest rider in the race on the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's really, it's interesting to me that the, the rider that everybody thought was going to win won and probably won in the way that we thought she was going to win with a late attack and yet there wasn't any sense of oh, okay well that was predictable because it was such an aggressive race and because Kopecky had to do so much work and had to had to put herself out there so much as you said Lauren had to take so many chances and spend so much time out front that it felt like when she did finally do it, it was just so well-deserved. It wasn't like, okay, you did this easily. You didn't just ride away from everyone yeah. easily. Mm. You absolutely earned this, and that's that's amazing to watch. Yeah, and, like, for the most part, actually, all the major countries didn't ride defensively either. They all made it hard for her. Like, mm. they just didn't have the legs, and some riders we were expecting more of, but overall, like... They made it bloody hard for her. They didn't hand it to her on a platter, that's for sure. No, nah, and there was more than one time that she was like, come on. Like, yeah. she did that probably three or four times. Like, work with me. And there was like, no. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> You're just going to ride away the next time we go up that Montrose Street. Oh, no. Yeah. And but, I yeah. mean, maybe. Maybe Demi wasn't super of that group. Like perhaps Demi was the most kind of boring rider to watch on the day or the most conservative rider. But like Anamik was in there and she was throwing attacks and getting bike changes and chasing back on. And she was super exciting to watch. Like the Dutch in general were still really aggressive, especially like we had Rihanna Marcus attacking. Like we had uh, Shirin Van Anroy was like kind of, did a really great lead out into the base of one of the climbs that wasn't super steep. One of the climbs like in the park, she did a really great lead out into there so that Anamik could attack, which eventually spurred the, the race winning move. So the whole Dutch team did a really good job. It was just, yeah, Kapeki was just stronger than Volering on the day. Mm-hmm. And also I think like Volering coming into this race, like, no one was going to let her win after she just completely destroyed the tour. She had the most Kapeki was the favorite to win, but Volering had more eyes on her, more people holding on to the back of her figuratively holding on to the back of her bike, trying to hold her back from winning. And we saw that a ton in kind of the, the mixing up of the race and the final laps with riders attacking. We had Lizzie Dagnan with an incredible attack and she had Schweinberger with her. And then Rooster was, was bridging to that and Celia was bridging to that. And it was like, and Demi was the one who was kind of just trying to fuse it all together. And I feel like Demi's strongest moment of the entire race is when she brought that whole group back together and then immediately attacked but it just wasn't on scott street so it was like it wasn't on montrose it was on the other really steep street and it was such a great moment of like we talk about like textbook moments in a race it was that's what you want to do if you're if you're dropped and you are doing all the work to bring it back you want to hit the group before you like you want to attack before you've made contact 
with the group out head out ahead because you're going faster. And she did that and it was perfect. But Kapeki was just too good. Kapeki knew exactly what she was gonna do and she latched onto her right away. <laughs> and I mean, I guess the one of the most surprising things for me for the entire race is that it took so long for Kapeki to be able to go. Mm-hmm. And it took so it, it, and everybody was so determined to make it hard for her. I mean, like Dignan, what a day she had. Incredible. 10 months after having a baby, finishing six that worlds, but not only finishing six that worlds, it's not like she's, she rode in for six. Like she was, there was at least three moments in the race where I was like, holy shit, she can Lizzie win. Dagnan is going to take her yeah. second mm. world's title right now. Yeah. I was yep. like, Gracie was crazy for this choice. <laughs> now she is not so crazy. <laughs> called it nah she was brilliant (laughs) like regardless of the result like on paper I think she earned even more respect if that was possible from the cycling world I think there was heaps of people singing her praises that day and afterwards so yeah pretty cool (laughs) she's just a racer that's that's Lizzie and um she's been working so hard this year as an amazing teammate on Little Trek and it's She's just been doing this so long that she knew that that day was going to be a good day for her. She'd been preparing for that mm. world championship. And, I mean, man, to see her, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but to win gold in Paris next year would be. Yeah. I would probably cry. I would definitely cry if she won gold, especially after, like, yeah, the last one. The last time she was on the Olympic podium, was that in London when she was second behind Voss? She's lived a whole life since yep. then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think she was either the leader either as well at Worlds. I think that she was actually riding in support of Henderson and who Georgie. else? Um, Georgie, yeah. So they just didn't have the best days, bit of bad luck as well. And I, it's just cool to see her pivot and just, yeah, like you both said, it's, she's a real racer and we've talked about that before. It's cool to see that in action, especially without radios. It's really cool. <laughs> Not to divert the conversation to another sport, but just like an hour ago or less than an hour ago, there was a lot of screaming going on in my building and I was like, man, that's weird. I don't know what that is. And I just, op- I was just going to open for cycling to look at the results really quick to make a point but spain won the semi-final for the world cup an hour ago oh. against sweden so no wonder people were screaming <laughs> the cool. other bit one of the other biggest well arguably a bigger sporting event going on especially with uh, three australians on the podcast. oh my yeah. god it's been yeah. like i had goosebumps i was watching <sighs> the the shootout the other night and I was just like um I couldn't believe what I was watching I don't know the crowds the the excitement everything just people so behind uh, yeah women's sport but I, I read something on LinkedIn today and um a woman was saying she doesn't want to hear anymore you know women's sport has arrived or this and that she wants to hear we need to invest in women's sport now. Yeah. I mean, this is the moment. Look at it, look around. <laughs> yeah. 
I love this moment. Sorry, the point the point <laughs> I wanted to make before I got totally derailed by the internet was um, about Lizzie and about her performance. I feel like it's there's something to be said about the Tour de France Femme being two weeks before this and riders coming into form like after that race just in the right time. Um, Lizzie obviously was riding in support of her team in the Tour de France Femme and Christina Schweinberger was there with uh, Phoenix to Kunick as well, where they had an incredible week, that team with, uh, with a stage win and just some amazing performances. So I feel like, yeah, the, the two of them may have been two of the riders that benefited from that load and then having two weeks to kind of bounce back from that and have an incredible, incredible day. I think Grace Brown as well, like she was good. Okay. In the Tour de France, like she had a good time trial. But she wasn't impressive. She wasn't a name until the time trial that you were really going, oh, wow, like this ride has been really impactful in this race. Um, and then she was flying at Worlds. And then you had mm. the opposite with some riders who were flying. And we did speak about this in the preview, um, how it would impact some people. Because even Demi said herself, since winning the Tour de France, it's been really hard to you know, gather the motivation for, for this championships. So to walk away with the silver was pretty impressive. And just on Volering, yeah. so just on Volering, the the finish is worth talking about, her catching Sile just before the line. Yeah, uh, just brutal. Brutal finish for, for Sile. But I thought that was quite impressive from Volering, given how badly she was cramping up with like 8Ks to go. And I wonder if that was part of her, you know, we are talking before about her, hesitating a little bit to follow Capecchi. I wonder if that was part of it, but the fact she was able to actually, yeah, put in that late surge to catch Sile was actually quite impressive given how bad she looked with eight Ks to go. Her and Royce are like chasing down Cile, poor Sile like out there in mm. no man's land after being dropped by Capecchi on Scott, Scott Street. <laughs> and I was just like, please Sile, like do, just ride your heart out, girl. We need it to not be an SD works one, two, three. <laughs> yep. A shout out to Sile as well. So her, her last three worlds, she's now finished eighth, fifth, and third, which is pretty damn impressive. And I think somebody said in the group chat during the race that it was her best race of the year, um, which, yeah, she she turned up at the right time and was great. It wasn't like she just sat back as well. I think someone mentioned earlier, just she was there in the move, she was making the moves, and she was there right at the end in, in the winning move. So... Yeah, super impressive from her. And I think, yeah, she'll be disappointed, obviously, to be caught like that on the line. But I think, yeah, with the benefit of of some time, third place at Worlds will be, yeah, she'll be happy with that. Other talking points. Under 23, champion, Blanca Vaz. And Shirin, who wasn't going for the title, got very close. Staffs to to Matt. For that. Thank you. Thank As low hanging fruit. Not really. You, you said so. Hang on, hang on. Before you go on, there's not low hanging fruit. You, you said Van <laughs> Anroy is the only one who could win it, and I said, "How about Blanca Vas?" And he said, "Oh yeah." <laughs> so not low hanging. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the U.S. team before Chloe Deggert pulled out of the race the morning of uh, due to illness. The U.S. team after she after she dropped out, they decided to all in for Megan for the U23 title. And then a lot of them had a a pretty bad day with luck. Uh, Heidi Franz was out with a mechanical like super early, and Megan had a an ill timed mechanical. But it's interesting to see that dynamic in the race and how that's kind of changing things. Because like if you 
look at like the whole U.S. team. I mean, they probably weren't going to win, but still to have the entire team racing for like a secondary prize definitely impacts how the race is raced. Yeah, and somebody like Niedermeyer as well. You know, we talked about how the German team spent so much energy trying to pull back that early break. You know, Niedermeyer could well have been a contender for that under-23 title, potentially, um, but ended up, ended up finishing, yeah, more than 10 minutes down after putting that amazing effort. So, yeah, it is it is an interesting one how it affects the dynamics of the race, and I think, not an unpopular opinion, but the sooner we can get the standalone race in 2025, uh, the better, really. <laughs> Do you, do you think that the under do you think that the under twenty three category actually impacted the race though this time? I don't think so. I think it was just like the race was too hard for it was just like the the chips fell like yeah the, there was no racing for the title. It was you were just racing to race, and the strongest U twenty three rider on the day won the title. But it's still, yeah. if you, you wonder what the U.S. maybe would have done differently had they not been all in for Megan on like it's, you're, if you're all, if you have an entire team that's not, that doesn't qualify for the U23 title, you have one rider that's going for that title. No, none of them are going to benefit by jumping in an early break unless they're trying to get up the road so that Megan can use them later on in the race when she eventually catches back on. But it's not like the same as having a Lee Shabby up the road <laughs> for Marlon Royster, right? So it's just such a, I don't know, it's such a weird thing. And I feel like for the U.S., it, I guess it made sense. Like if you're looking at the race and you're like, okay, I don't have any riders that are going to win today. Maybe Corinne wasn't feeling super great either. Obviously, she got distance pretty early, so that's probably true. But it's still like, I mean, I would think Megan, she's so incredible and I might be biased, but she could be one in at a shot in an elite title when, one of these days as the year's tick by and so for her going for that u23 title is maybe a little bit of a a warm-up practice for when she eventually will go for the elite title but i still think that she could have she could have just been racing for for the title itself but then at that point it's just confusing like trying to keep track of the riders that are u23 like who are your competitors just forget about the rest of the race going on around you. But in this situation, like you really can't because this race was just so chaotic at so many points. I don't know. It's just, if, if you're racing for that title and we have some phenomenal U23 riders, it's kind of like, you know, the, the race is going to make that selection naturally. Um, and as long as mechanicals and illnesses and such things don't fall into place, um, affect the race. Sorry. Um, then those riders are going to be there. And then say, like, in this race, for example, once the race had gone and, like, Blankenvass hadn't been able to go with it and, you know, Shirin was definitely in a worker's role, then you can begin to think about it if, if the medals, the the elite medals were really gone. Because I, I do think riders like Blankenvass would still be racing for, you know, she came fifth in the 2021 Worlds. So who's to say she, on a really, really good day, um, couldn't have been right up there top five again. Um, and then it, that that's kind of how I view it in, in that way. And maybe if you're from a smaller nation and you have a, a good rider who can maybe, maybe get a bronze medal because you have riders like um, Shirin, who will be definitely in that working role, as she said in multiple interviews, then you could put a whole team around it if your U23 rider is the best rider. 
Sorry, just quickly on Blancavas. Um, she said after the race that she felt really, really ordinary at the start of the day. And she got into the breakaway because she felt so bad. She felt like she had the best chance of doing something from there. And then, of course, she got dropped on Crow Road from the break straight back to the Peloton. And then got to the start of the circuits and almost pulled out. She was feeling that ordinary. But she started to feel better as she went on. And then to, yeah, to win the title from there is... Yeah, pretty impressive, I thought. Sometimes you feel like you're on a really bad day, but your your legs say other otherly. Otherwise? Your legs have something different to say. Otherwise, they're thank you words. <laughs> um, I feel like I've mentioned this already on a podcast, but I used to be teammates with Linda Williamson, and every single day she would start the day and she would like be like, okay, guys, I feel shit today. Every single day. <laughs> and then I was talking to her like, <laughs> I was like, and then she would be amazing. And every single time I was like, man, the day that you feel great is a day that the world should watch out. And then she was <laughs> messaging with me the morning of the TT in Richmond Worlds. She was like, I feel good today. And I was like, oh, 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 oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny how that works. I feel like this is a race where this would be such a rough race to feel bad in, but still like... Even if like to play that mental game of like, okay, I feel bad, but if you're still holding on, like you still feel bad, even though your legs are doing the work for you, you're still just like suffering so much. But I think it's safe to say like Kapeki felt good and continued to feel good. She was just on fire. The, the last Belgian winner of the world championships was Nicole Vandenbroek in 1973. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I like that she, yeah, um, that little fact, that little statistic, because Belgium's such a massive country for cycling. And we, I don't, I guess we didn't talk about this because we haven't had like a big Tour de France wrap up pod. But after the tour, there's a lot to be said about the Lotte Capecchi effect in Belgium and the massive amount of junior women signing up for cycling at the moment because she is doing what she's doing and people are watching her be this one of the best riders in the world and she's having forcing like this resurgence of women cycling in Belgium or a surgence of women cycling I don't know and it's really it's really cool to see and I I think about that and I think about all of those junior riders that very cute 10 out of 10 13 out of 10 cuteness stop distracting us Gracie with your (laughs) no but Abby on that note I've I've been coming to Belgium now since 2017 and honestly like I remember that year when Gracie won uh, silver she got second at the Ron van Vlaanderen and I was desperately um I was driving somewhere at the end of the race and you know they they were live broadcasting the men's race and they didn't even mention the results of the the women's race on the radio. It was just nothing like women's cycling. And Yolin was is was doing really well at that time. You know, she was one of the top riders in the world as well. And I was like, she's a Belgian female racing at the highest level. And now it's like, honestly, Kapeki is a household name. When I went to the workspace yesterday. Um, we've got a little cycling group chat now. And one of the guys said, uh, after Kopecky's win yesterday, I'm motivated to ride a bit more. Um, so cool. And they were talking to me about the, the race and everything. And these are people who don't follow cycling. They're hobby cyclists. So a lot of recreational cyclists in Belgium, you know, um, don't necessarily 
follow the sport. They aren't diehards. Everyone watches the Ronda um, and parts of the Tour de France. But it's just been really cool to see. And you can just see it in the depth of talent now with some of the young Belgian riders. And we spoke about this, I think, many months ago, even last year with Jolin, how uh, it's just exciting to see more Belgian names because, you know, 10 years ago, I didn't really notice the Belgians. Yeah, pretty pretty incredible. Imagine if Wout had won the men's race, the whole country would have just burned to the ground. <laughs> He's never going to win. I, I'm calling it now. He, he won't win the world championships. I just have this. Wow. My partner and I just feel like it's just this one race that will always elude him. Mm. And then he'll be like Valverde and maybe win it at 40 if he continues to that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Sorry, Walt. I know you don't listen to the podcast, but. In a way, <laughs> in a way, Kopecky winning when Walt, where Walt can't is, is pretty like, yeah. Mm. Ha ha ha. Wout is the Lotte Kopecky of the women's peloton, of the, of the men's peloton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Uh-uh. Uh, he couldn't get second at the Tour de France. <laughs> well, no, wishes he was for Monica Becky. She's just going to be a great world champion as well. Just, uh, I think, for all mm. the reasons we've mentioned, but just there's something cool about seeing her in Rainbows and, you know, the Spring Classics next year. I'm already really excited for that and seeing her line up at Flanders in Rainbows. Oh, that's going to be awesome. Oh, imagine being a Belgian in the rainbow jersey at Flanders. Yeah. That is amazing. Oh. That's I'm going to be out there. I will be out there with my newborn baby on my chest. And I've got <laughs> oh. a little tiny, um, I'll show you, well, after the call, I've got like a little world champions jersey. And honestly, oh. you can ask Hannes, I've been waiting for her to become world champion just so I can, <laughs> you know, give Harry, put it on Harry and go, Lotta, please sign it and take this photo no. because I'm going to put it in his room and he's going to idolize you. <laughs> uh, I almost I almost got sucked into the UCI marketing at the in when we were in Glasgow walking around because there was all these tiny little world champ jerseys. And I was like, oh, man, I really want to get one for Lila. And then during the men's race, I was like, oh, I might have to get one for Lila. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, well, it's fine. I'll, maybe I'll just get one for Lila anyway. But they also had these, like, Highland cow hats with little, like, rainbow. Did you get like, a Highland <laughs> cow? Did you no, get one? I, re- I, almost, I almost did. Oh. I was... I will. I think it might be a lifelong regret that I didn't yeah. get one. But I was with Tom's at the time, and he was like, um, "No, you cannot buy that hat." And I was like, "But <laughs> anyway, yeah, I agree. Such a worthy winner, and I really can't wait to see how she wears the jersey because I think she's going to do us proud as the the world champion for the next year. Should we wrap this podcast up with a little bit of? What we're obsessed with this week? A lot really of Quebec-y. Quebec-y. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're all obsessed Quebec-y. with a lot of Quebec-y. <laughs> Actually, I'll, I'll do this. Um, I listen to a podcast where they do this vibe and unsubscribed, which is quite similar to this in a way. But like, um, this is not educational or inside, insightful or anything like that. I and mean, I think Gracie knows it. I've gotten into Gossip Girl again because I've had a lot of time. I've had a lot of time on my hands. (laughs) And I'm vibing Gossip Girl. And I feel like I've just finished. No, I feel like I'm back at university. Amazing. It's so good. So that's my vibe. It is nice how those shows, they kind of bring you back to a time when life was a little bit simpler. Yeah. Yeah. I like Gilmore Girls for this reason. Every time I watch it, I'm like, ah. Gilmore Girls is the best. Yeah, it doesn't, 
it doesn't age well, but it's still <laughs> amazing. Yeah, none of them age that well. No. Some of them do, which is surprising, but most of them uh, don't. Veronica Mars was another one that was just, oh, oh yeah. man, I love Veronica used to Mars. love Veronica Mars. Oh, such a good one. No. I watched the whole first season of Sex in the City on the plane back from Europe. <laughs> <laughs> that was <Amazing>. good. <laughs> That's good. When would that have been? That'd be, that'd be almost 30 years old, 25 years old. Late nineties, yeah, right? Old. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. That's a long that flight. Because yeah. that yep. was pre like eight episode seasons that we have now. Such a cop out. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, I can go next unless you guys have a good one. Well, I've just been in Scotland for the World Championships, and although the second half of my trip got derailed, the first half of my trip I had a really great job. A really, bleh, I had a really great time gin tasting because everyone thinks of Scotland and they think of whiskey, but actually gin is massive in Scotland. So I have like I brought back no Percy pigs because I yet again failed in my endeavor to get Percy pigs, but I have like. 10 little tiny bottles of different like gin types to to taste throughout the next it's going to take me probably 10 months to get through them because <laughs> i have like one gin and tonic a week but i'll uh, i'm definitely really excited to continue my my journey of tasting different gins and a shout out to kit nicholson uh, matt and i's colleague over at escape collective because she gave me a handful of a couple of her favorites and so i'm really excited to try those gins out love a g and t is, like is kit scottish best. yeah uh yes kit is a scottish name right yeah yeah does she live in glasgow she lives in edinburgh oh nice mm-hmm that's what I've been obsessed with, gin. <laughs> I don't have anything no. quite that exciting, but uh, more of a philosophical one for me today. I, I've been having this feeling a bit lately, like um, the days, weeks and months are kind of blurring into each other a little bit, notwithstanding, you know, going to the tour and the amazing time that that was. But um, yeah, just feeling a bit like life is getting a bit samey or something and just feeling a bit like... I'm trying to lean more into doing things out of the ordinary, things that stand out. And the tour was a good reminder of that to, um, yeah, take the opportunities that come your way and do things that are interesting, exciting, out of the norm that you'll look back on and, and remember rather than the time just flying by. And we've got a little family holiday coming up next week for just a week up going to the beach and trying to get into doing some more camping as the weather gets better and just things like that. And just a reminder to myself that, even though time does seem to fly by and a lot of the days often are quite the same, it's in my control to be able to to create good memories and do things that are different and make things stand out. So I've been thinking about that a lot lately and trying to, um, yeah, trying to push myself to, to do more interesting things. I like that a lot, Matt, because yeah, I, that's all awesome. the feels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think as well having small children uh, i don't know how old luca is is he around harry's age yeah two? almost two two next month yeah yeah um so you do and actually at the moment i it's weird i kind of miss the the routine we had and i think i used to complain about it and I, the thing i love about my job is quite often i get to take off to different countries in europe mm. for work and i love meeting new people and talking about things i'm interested in um but at the moment, it feels like um, it has felt like there's been no r normal routine. 
and I realize how much I crave that, but at the same mm. time, I also miss doing things like the spontaneity of mm. of life. Um, and when you have a small child, you can't be as spontaneous. And some people might disagree with me, but at least when you're working a normal nine to five job, <laughs> it becomes a little more difficult. So yeah, I think that that's really good. Something I would love to do actually is is bike packing with, with Harry in the future. Oh, I think so good that. Yeah. And yeah, just being outdoors and camping and yep. things to look forward to. Gracie, you're up. Well, I'm going to say the thing that I've refrained from saying this whole time, but I've been away for a long time. So now I can say it. I'm obsessed with my cat. (laughs) 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 I love it. She is literally the best cat in the world and I missed her so much. Was she like a bit grumpy on your return because you've been away? No, she's like the most forgiving cat ever. Like she's so affectionate and loving. She's literally been following me around this whole day, like my first full day back. And it's just the best. She's the best. And I'm really happy. Aww. So good. Can I trade you my baby for your cat? Because when I got back from being gone for the Tour de France Femme, Lila, I was like, oh, Lila's going to be so excited to see me. Every time she sees Tom, she's so excited. Every time he leaves, like, yeah, she, like, welcomes him back with open arms, literally. She threw a four-hour-long temper tantrum when I got home. Uh, <laughs> yep. She was not excited. Like, maybe she was excited to see me, but it came out in a very negative way that was not super fun. <laughs> and, um, and so I would like to offer you a trade. <laughs> I think about it. <laughs> uh, I'll send you a video of her eating ice cream yesterday and it'll change your mind because it's very cute. Aww. I'll send you a photo of Billy just sleeping really cute and that'll also change your mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, Billy is very fluffy, like just such a fluffy cat. Yeah, she's pretty pretty adorable (laughs) but there is literally fluff everywhere in this house i need to do a big clean (laughs) and the the personality backs up the cuteness because sometimes you get a cute cat that is kind of a dick no she just she's chatty she meows at me and she wants cuddles and she wants to play and it's just great i feel very loved (laughs) by this cat Well, on that note, we're going to wrap up this week's episode. (laughs) Thanks so much, everyone, for listening, and we will be back next week. We still have more World Tour races to come, which feels weird. Uh, It feels like the season should be over, but it's definitely not. We have the Tour of Scandinavia coming up, which we love. So we'll, we'll be back soon to talk about that. And at some point, we'll do a huge Tour de France Femme uh debrief pod with all of us the regular crew mostly because i want to know what gracie has to say so that is coming (laughs) your way at some point in the near future thanks everyone and don't forget to head on over to escapecollective.com slash join to become a member and support what we do